So today we are starting a series on the living body, which will be split over six Sundays. I've been greatly honoured in being given the duty of preaching at the beginning of the series, so I would just like to express my sincere thanks to my gardener for this. But all jokes aside, you know, thank you for the opportunity for me to share the gospel with you this morning. Now, one of the beauties of today's society is the amount of people who you can interact with. It is simply unprecedented. In 1801, the UK population stood at just over 9 million people. Today, it is around 63 million. That doesn't even include the Isle of Man, though if we were to include them, we could actually fit them all inside Wembley Stadium, so housing wouldn't be a problem. Now, I'm just going to give you a scenario to start off with. Now, when you, a person first wakes up in the morning, the first thing you might see is your husband or wife, or if you're like me, then your teddy bear. <laughs> hey, don't laugh, he's awesome. You then get up, you go downstairs, and you might see your children there asking for breakfast, or your dog, or your cat, or whoever. They've already been up for the last hour, and so you decide to make them breakfast, and in the meantime, you just decide to switch on BBC News, in which you'll have Bill Turnbull and Louise Minchin. They will actually have various guests on the show. If you're lucky, it might be someone you enjoy, as opposed to a uh, drab political consultant or Piers Morgan. You might be able to watch them for a few minutes before the kids want CBBC on, or the cat goes out, so you promptly return to the day's schedule of things to do. You decide to drop the kids off at school, you go to the town to do your shopping, and you might pop into Starbucks while you're on the way there. Of course, what I've just given is a fictional scenario. I'm sure we all live very different lives. But for just a moment, try and think about the amount of people who you interact with on a daily basis. A lot of my social life is in a call centre in Brighton, in which I have obviously both the client and my team and the department as a whole. And most conversations with the client last on average about 46 seconds, according to my team leader, usually because, well, the client already knows what I'm going to say. Usually goes something like this, so... Hello there, my name is Alex. I'm uh, calling on behalf of Sky from Domestic and General, calls are recorded. Is this uh, Mr. Smith? Uh, yep, yep, yeah, Ted's speaking. Yep, uh, it's Alex, calls are recorded. Now, hello, you're still there, sir. <laughs> it's about insurance, isn't it, Alex? I said, yes, it's about cover for your Sky equipment, yes. Yep, don't ever care what you're going to say, just... I'm going to hang up on you. You can take me off your dial list. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> now, despite only being in the job for eight months now, I've learned that some people, they would just never listen. There's simply nothing that you can do. You might have God on your side, but it does not mean that everything will go right in your eyes. It does not mean that you have failed. It simply means that God is working in other ways. Do you remember what the disciples said just when Jesus was speaking of his coming death? 
No, Lord, surely not. That's, that wouldn't happen. It, Peter even tried to tell him off. Why are you saying these things, Jesus? You can't be saying things like this. You're scaring them. They simply had no idea what was going to happen, did they? The world must have crashed around them when he did hang on that cross. Was that going according to their plan? Perhaps one or two of the disciples perhaps realised what was going to happen, but the general consensus was that this was a nightmare. Somehow, though, from the pits of despair on crucifixion day, came the greatest scene in the history of mankind. But why was Jesus' resurrection, crucifixion and resurrection, there we go, get it right way around, eh? Why was this crucifixion and resurrection so effective? Many will point to John 3.16, in which those words can never be said enough. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And it sums up the point just so beautifully. He accepted that we are sinners, and that he came here to make things right again. It was not us that did wrong against God, yet not he was the one who made it all right again. Do we do the same for our neighbours? Romans 15 verse 7, which is the basis of the talk today, says, Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now, admittedly, when my gardener gave me this passage, he said to me in the email, it would fit nicely with our relationships with other Christians. However, I want to look a bit beyond that. You have to think about how many people you interact with on a daily basis. You may have missed one or two. It's almost impossible to tell, but depending on your spatial awareness, if it's as atrocious of mine, then you probably have. Now, how many people here visited Brighton recently? A few, I was worried then. I thought, no hands, this could be interesting. That's good, that's good. Now, one of the biggest problems there is the amount of homeless people there are. Fellow human beings, we haven't got a penny to their name. The clothes they wear is all they've got. Now, they may be there because of a gap in the benefit system, or because of drugs, gambling, alcohol. We simply do not know. But do we need to know? Did, did Jesus question the lame man before he healed him? Or how about the man possessed by demons? I don't recall Jesus saying, oh, your wicked ways let the demons enter you. It's all your fault. I'm not going to save you. You're, you're on your own. Whether we like it or not, there are very... Unfortunately, there are marginalised groups in the UK. There are some within the church, there might be some of you here today who feel marginalised. But on a wider scale, there are homeless people, prostitutes or escorts, as apparently they call them in the industry, the LGBT community, and of course the call centre rep. Now, some of you may be here today who are involved in such efforts to reduce, reduce the marginalisation of such groups. I'm just giving a very broad overview. There may be others who you feel are also being marginalised. Now, personally, I'm seeking greater representation and acceptance of the LGBT community within Fury 
This is not because I believe in same-sex marriage, nor do I believe in sexual relationships between same-sex partners. I do not believe that is God's best, but the reason why I want more acceptance is because there is simply too much prejudice and enmity. And I don't recall Jesus having those attributes. Jesus' parable, the Good Samaritan, was very much the embodiment of acceptance. The Samaritan helped him up, repaired his wounds, and gave him somewhere to stay. No questions asked, just a humble heart and a willingness to help the man out of the situation he was in. And this, for me, ladies and gentlemen, is the basis of Jesus' mission. A sacrificial heart and the eagerness to change the situation we were all in. His entire life and death was built around this. And everything he did was in mind of his purpose and mission for the human race. Romans 15 verse 3 says, For even Christ did not please himself. He did not discriminate, but rather he accepted everyone. And so our efforts must be when we evangelize. And sorry, yeah, I did just use that word. I know it's a murky word, evangelize, but at the at the real basis of it, the basics of it, it's just talking about Jesus. That's really all it is. And I'm not one of those people that can turn a conversation on its head and just start talking about Jesus like that. But people ask about the Christian faith, they ask about the Bible, just give the best answer I can. A good, honest answer. You know, Lord Alfred Tennyson, the poet, I believe, he once said, there lives more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds. So if you feel that you have to pretend that everything is going so well, you are probably doing a disservice to the people around you. Remember, it only takes faith of mustard seed proportions that can move mountains. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to here, and it will move. Matthew 17, verse 20. In many respects, Romans 15, verse 7 is an evangelistic verse. It is about meeting with society, promoting the gospel, and living out Christ's sacrificial love, all for the glory of God. And this is a message for all of us, not just for the evangelists. I don't know if any of you were here when John Ellis, the um, moderator, came here. It was back in October, and he was speaking about, these, about all these changes going on in the URC, all these positions. He spoke about hiring free evangelists. Well, I had no idea what they do. I assume they go around the place wearing these T-shirts saying, hey, look at me, I'm a URC evangelist, come talk to me. Or do they start holding those signs saying, repent, repent, the Lord is coming? I, don't, I have no idea. No idea. But I do not believe that evangelizing is down to just them. It's for all of us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that is Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. I do quite like Matthew. It's a good book. Now, this gift of being able to talk about Jesus, it's for all of us. It doesn't restrain us on who we can talk to about him. 
may it be the homeless person, the Muslim, the politician, the prostitute, or your next door neighbour. It's empowering. Imagine if we found out that Jesus didn't come to save us Brits. Here's some adaptations on the Bible which might give a clearer explanation to that. For God so loved the world, except the Brits, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Except those British people, they just have a weird accent. Or, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But don't worry, you pommies, you have the NHS, you're fine. The Bible, our faith in God, and our relationship with others are all for God's glory. It is from this liberty that we have that it is not for our pleasure, but for God's glory. That was Matthew Henry who said that. And let us remember that as we go forth from today. Now, let's just summarise. This is not an apology for sin. If I gave any impression during the service that it is okay for people to sin, then I wholeheartedly apologise. But just as Jesus forgave taxmen, prostitutes and beggars, so we are called to do also. We are saying to the marginalised, we love you for who you are. Not for what you've done wrong, but for whom we know you are capable of being. When God made us, he said, it was good. A lot of the public believe Christianity is about rules and they say, thou must do this, you must do that. And to be honest, I wouldn't disagree with it. We accept the law is in place so that we can do good. However, it is by Christ's saving love that meant whenever we have done wrong, he has already forgiven us. 